This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello, and welcome to Season 7, Episode 22 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're joined by Zach from, well, you're from Trek FM, even though people <laughs> yeah. may not know it, but they are very familiar with your work. Yes, they, going, they hear my work in every episode, almost, of Trek FM. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I, I edit all the previously on Trek FM uh, spots, so that is what I do on Trek FM. So I'm happy to finally be um, on the air, so to speak, with you guys. Oh, Although, as, as Mike said, technically you're a part of every single show that airs. <laughs> yes, that's, that's pretty cool. It, it it is pretty cool. You know, I'm always I'm always a big fan of of editors, and and as as someone who used to cut those spots, I know what a pain in the ass they are, and I <laughs> definitely appreciate your work. Well, thank you. Um, I know you mentioned so, that in another podcast. You're like, yeah, I'm glad you do those now because I used to. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not fun, but. <laughs> uh, but thank you, thank you very much uh, for 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 your work every week, and thank you very much for joining us this week. For sure. So uh, yeah, what I, I I'm guessing since you're volunteering your time as an editor of a, of a promo spot for a Star Trek podcast network, that you're probably a Star Trek fan. Yes, yes I am. I am a lifelong Star Trek fan. I grew up watching Next Generation, so that is my Star Trek. Uh, but if I if I had to pick my favorite Star Treks, it would be, you know, this is what I tell people. I say Next Generation is my Star Trek, but Deep Space Nine is the best Star Trek. That's how I see things. And then of course there is there is Star Trek itself, you know, the original series and the movie. So those are those are the ones I really that I'm a fan of. Uh, the other ones, not so much. But <laughs> but that's the great thing about Star Trek. There's enough for everybody. So that's there my fandom is. I think I think we're we're pretty much in sync. I mean, uh, the next gen was definitely the one that I grew up with too, because that was the one that, in addition to being you know towards the end of its run, it was also in rerun. So I got to see it every day, you know. Right, syndication all over the place. But Deep Space yeah. Nine is definitely the best mm-hmm. of all the shows. We want DS Nine in HD. <laughs> we do, <sighs> we do. Um, and you know what? Yeah, I would I would actually buy that set. I'm I'm notorious for not wanting to buy physical media anymore. But if they gave us uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, like on Blu-ray and HD, mm. heartbeat, I'd pre-order it today. And well, there's so much about Deep Space Nine that, like, behind the scenes and stuff that nobody really knows. I mean, Next Generation was such yeah. the mainstream show. So although these Blu-rays are great, and I love all the work they did on the behind-the-scenes stuff, there, I would love to Deep Space Nine to get that same treatment, not just for HD, but just for all the behind the scenes and the commentaries and the long documentaries. And it would just be so great to revisit that series that way. And I think one day, hopefully, they'll they'll make it make sense financially. I understand. I understand why. I know that I know they just announced the animated series is coming to Blu-ray, and it's like, really, do we get that and not Deep Space Nine Voyager? <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I get it. You know, they have to rescan everything and re-render effects because they're in the computers, and it's not just it's not as simple as just slapping on Blu-ray. So. Uh, hopefully we'll get it one day. You know, maybe for the 50th yeah. anniversary. Oh wait, we're here already, <laughs> and we don't have it. So I don't know when yeah. we'll get it. But <laughs> I don't know. The three of us are in pretty good shape. Maybe the 75th anniversary. Yeah, yeah that's right. We, we got time. We got time. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, 
Well, today we are uh, going to be discussing uh, the fifth film in Justin Lin's filmography, and that is Fast and Furious, his second the Fast and the Furious movie. I'm being very yeah. specific with my wording here um, yes. because the titles are starting to get crazy now, uh, which is great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But yes. Um, this has to be the most confusing franchise for titles. I remember when you guys were telling me what, what shows there were, uh, and I was like, Fast and Furious, that's the fourth one, right? Because <laughs> yeah. like, I feel like half the movies in this franchise titled Fast and Furious or Fast and the Furious or some variation thereof. So that's it's confusing. We'll definitely get I mean yes. we've we've been sort of like, you know, teasing this out as they progress and talking about the progressions of the titles because mm. it it's all building to something in the very last Justin Lin movie. It reaches maximum Fast and Furiousness as far as I'm concerned. Um and I don't know. I mean, I've always been a, a really big fan of the the naming scheme here and uh i i think it's interesting how you can apply it to multiple franchises or any franchise um and this is kind of like the next step in the evolution which is fast and furious you know it's getting rid of the thes you know they're they're going so quickly and so furiously they don't have the time for anything outside of an ampersand <laughs> it's just they're just those words are so fast and powerful this time around exactly exactly and we'll get into why that is at least why i think that is okay. oh, yeah we can kind of get into that now okay so the year is okay. 2009 um justin lynn has uh you know come back uh to the to the franchise after making finishing the game which we discussed last week it's been a few years and yeah, the fact that Justin Lin is back is always something which I found to be interesting. But let's, I guess, build up to that because the big thing when this movie was first announced was everyone is coming back, right? This is like a return to the original, Vin Diesel and Paul Walker together again, along with Jordana Brewster and Michelle Rodriguez. Barely. And barely <laughs> yeah but she's there yeah it and, still counts and and at the time you know it, that that's not how it was promoted i mean she was on the posters they had the yeah every know, the, scene she was in was heavily yeah. shown in the trailers and the commercials exactly. absolutely yeah right and it's like yeah everyone's back you know and and then they said and justin lynn's back and that to me always struck me as odd because as a movie which was really sort of being, you know, billed as this return to the original, I thought it was strange that they hired the guy who made the most offbeat, you know, the the essentially the spin-off movie to come back and do this. Um, but they did. And I mean, just to get into the to the title thing, I mean I think that they were really saying something by naming it Fast and Furious. They, what they were saying was, this is a return to the original. This is not right. too fast, too furious, which you know may have been like a, a cash grab. I mean, not that. That's a hilarious title for a sequel. I love that title. <laughs> it is. It's it's an amazing title for a sequel. But at the same time, it's like okay, that's goofy. It's and it's as right. goofy as the movie is. Right. And yeah. Tokyo Drift, you know, that's like the spinoff. You know, like here it is, but different. And what this title is signifying is that it is a return to basics. It is a return to the original. You know, it's ju it's not 
too fast, too furious. It's not Tokyo Drift. It's not some sort of weird thing. It's just Fast and Furious. That's it. Fast and Furious, you know? I mean, Final Destination did a similar thing. They they, they made a sequel called The Final Destination, which came out at at about the same time. And it was... uh, it was not good, um, <laughs> but that's okay. Yes. You know, I, I like the idea. I like it in the oh, the thing, did the thing. That. Yeah, the thing. But it was the prequel yeah. to the '80s remake. <laughs> so we have three right. movies called the thing. Yeah. Yes. Well, the first one's called the thing from oh, another that's, world. That's true. Right. But there's two, two, the two that the are in the same the continuity are both thing. called the thing, which is yeah. just yeah. odd. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But what can you do? So, John. Yes. You want to give a synopsis of this movie? This is essentially part two, although it's part four, mm. because you can watch it while ignoring two and three. And in fact, when you delve into Paul Walker's uh, story in this, it's maybe helpful if you do ignore the second one, because things happened in the second one that they're just sort of like, never mind. It's sort of like watching Star Trek Six. If you want to believe in Star Trek V, it exists. <laughs> if you do not, it doesn't. And uh, so basically the the team is brought back, but they're slightly ennobled um, because the heist that they're pulling at the beginning is gas from an evil company that's gouging prices, blah, blah, blah. But it starts with this completely bonkers uh, car stunt extravaganza in the beginning to let you know they're right back in the thick of things and it's it's like the dvd heists in the first one only it's it's the oil tankers and everything is just crazy and over the top um sort of like almost like a the opening sequence of uh james bond movies can be where yeah. it's like it, it's actually arguably the best action sequence of the entire film yeah, and I agree with that. you know as you're going along uh a character gets killed Another character goes out for vengeance and crosses the path of another character from the past. And so the whole gang gets back together to avenge the death of uh, of the character who dies. I'm, I'm trying to be spoiler free right here. Um, should I need to worry about that? Do I need to worry about that? You know, we'll play it by ear. We'll, okay. We'll, because we'll the thing is, there's a character in this one who died in the last yes, one. Yes. Therefore, meaning that in continuity, the third one is after the fourth one. Yes. The third one's actually yeah, after this, the fourth, fifth, and sixth ones, correct? So, But that's that's the thing that I love about this whole <laughs> series so far. I've only seen four of them so far, but I'm absolutely in love with this series because they play in a sense like the old uh like the old serials where it's like th- these are literally movies where you can just come in and sit down and it doesn't matter if you've seen anything that came before it's still a lot of fun and they give you just enough like dialogue backstory that okay I'm caught up I don't you know or it jogs your memory because you saw the first one 8 years ago or something like that and it's just I love it and of course you know crazy car stunts and although Lynn used a lot of practical car stunts in this one too but in Tokyo Drift he was known for not relying on CG there's a little more CG mixed into this one um, for the car stunts to be even a little crazier but uh, yeah it's a fun movie yeah there is an evolution yes for sure and uh, and just you know Zach just so that you're aware John is watching these for the first time yes so he hasn't seen five six and seven and basically yeah, don't doesn't you spoil know anything it. Oh, okay, about so no, no spoilers yeah. okay no so spoilers. Right. I, yeah. I have a confession to make <laughs> I, this yeah. is the only Fast and the Furious movie I've seen. What? Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I had not seen any of them. 
until we and talked about you being on this podcast. So I watched this one and I did some research okay. <laughs> afterwards. So I'd be because well, I've always been vaguely familiar with Fast and Furious. I mean, how can you not be? You know, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I knew you know Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, the cars. People talk about it. Uh, the other actors, The Rock, showing up uh, in the in the later movies. Uh, but I was very interested because so I watched this one and and you guys are absolutely right. You can totally watch it out of context and not having seen anything before or after and completely follow the story. I mean, there's enough stuff in there where you just go with it. I'm sure if I had seen other things, other uh, certain elements of the story would have made more sense to me. But it worked as a movie, just as a complete standalone. Uh, but I was fascinated to do the research afterward and and realize that this really weird. <laughs> continuity they have it's almost like a for for a movie that's just a glorified action movie or a, for a franchise just a glorified action franchise it's so odd to have all these moving bits and pieces of it sounds like some weird comic book or sci-fi franchise we're like oh you have to watch the third one after the sixth one and all this like some star wars nonsense but nope it's just a fun <laughs> action franchise and just watch them in whatever order you want yeah yeah and and there there are specific reasons for them being in a certain order and you know we'll get into exactly what they are later on because I don't want to spoil anything but I think it's pretty obvious that you know assuming that they had no idea what was going on in five six and seven it's clear that the reason why this one takes place before number three and and I'm sorry I'm going to spoil number three for you Zach um, but yep. it's because they wanted uh, Han solo in this one and han solo spoilers dies in number three in tokyo drift right still totally worth seeing it zach oh yeah yeah. like i I said i i read some of the reasons why so i've been spoiled on a lot of this stuff just from my research and it was just odd to me like yeah they wanted him in this movie for 10 minutes, five minutes. See, I, I think it was more, <laughs> I, 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 this is how I see it going down, right? I mean, this is really how I see it going down. It was like, um, okay, Han dies in, in number three because that's just the way that the story works or whatever. But, you know, as we've seen watching all these movies, it's pretty obvious that, you know, Justin Lin and, and Sung Kang are, you know, good buddies. They work well together. He's been in all of these movies except for Annapolis Right. And it's like, oh, well, are we going to deny ourselves putting Han in this movie just because he's dead? You know, we can have him in the big action sequence and then have a heart to heart with Vin Diesel where he's like, I got to go, man. I got to go to Tokyo, you know, I hear they're doing some crazy stuff in yeah. there. And then he leaves and it's like, oh, OK, goodbye. Han. Oh, so I guess this takes place before number three. OK, well, cool. It doesn't matter because it doesn't have anything else to do with number three. But yeah. All right. Fine. If if and, and I'm sure that's the reason why, you know, because he's like, I want to work with him again. So they did, you know, and, and, and I think and that that's it pretty again and again. <laughs> No, but I mean, but but I mean, like, why not? Like, I if I could, if I were making a movie, I'd look for a reason to have Sung Kang in it. Like, yeah, just I mean, really, if you can put so Sung awesome. Kang in your movie, you put Sung Kang in your movie, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the rule. I'm actually it's hoping the William Shatner Star Trek, rule, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know. So Sung Kang is the William Shatner of the Fast and Furious franchise. There it I is. Guess that's... <laughs> I hope he understands what a compliment was just paid to him. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Um, <laughs> So yeah, uh, well, Zach, as someone who hasn't seen any of these movies before, what what did you think? 
you know, they were exactly what I expected, but that's fine. You know, th- these movies are, are made to be fun action movies and you kind of turn your brain off and, you know, you, you go along for the ride, no pun intended. And uh, Vin Diesel is a lot, he's a lot of fun to watch as, as this character, you know, uh, he has a lot of charisma, I'll, uh, well, charisma, I'll, I don't know, <laughs> I'm not sure what the exact word is, I'm mean, maybe call it charisma, The Rock has charisma, I don't know about <laughs> Vin Diesel, but, you know, he obviously enjoys playing this role, uh, he's perfect for it, Paul Walker, he he's probably interchangeable, I guess, I don't think he necessarily brings anything to his character. Bite your tongue, <laughs> shame on you, no. <laughs> That's just my opinion. <laughs> Rest in peace, Paul Walker. So, but I do. I really. I enjoyed it. I. I. I feel like it kind of dragged in the middle, to be honest. But at the beginning, it, it really hooked me, and I was interested in the characters and what they were going through. And then it picked up again in the climax. So it, it was a fun ride. You know, it's a. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably seek out the rest of the movies and watch them because I. It, I didn't regret spending time watching them, and it was time well spent. I enjoyed it. And what what more can you ask for entertainment, right? It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, to speak to the point about the middle is uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. I did not enjoy it as much as Tokyo Drift, um, but I still really enjoyed it. But to speak to the point about the middle, I, I agree because we just sort of get stuck in that same sort of, um, you know, uh, it means he gets results, you stupid chief, sort of like police crime drama thing where he's, you know, he's struggling against the system and his passions and his his loyalties and everything like that. And it's like, yeah, we've been, we know where he's going to go. We know how this is, you know, let's, let, let's uh, fast forward here. And I'm also pretty sure that um, an FBI agent who uh, literally just completely mops the floor with one of his coworkers <laughs> is going to be reprimanded more severely than <laughs> that. Like, you watch yourself. Hey, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. the extent of his reprimand. <laughs> right. Don't break his nose ever again. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah, like I, I, I agree with you. The, the middle gets a little choppy. What I think is admirable about this movie is that obviously Lynn was given a job to do, which was get the team back together. And he did it in a fun and creative way where be, like he throws it out of continuity, you know, in chronological continuity, and you don't care. You know, there are, there are plenty of movies where I, I'll reference uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple mm, of Doom. Yeah. That one technically takes place before the first one. And it, as a result, Indy's character is not like they regress him. And it's kind of like, eh. Whereas with these characters, I guess they get away with it because you haven't seen Vin Diesel in action since the first one. And arguably, he's a superhero in this one. <laughs> I mean, th- this is really the sort of superhero team up I want to see. <laughs> You know, like so th- they, they is... weren't this invulnerable in the first couple movies. They sure didn't seem to be. <laughs> in, in the first movie, it was really like you know, let's go race some cars, you know. Yeah. And then let's go steal some uh, TV DVD VCR players. combos. Yeah. <laughs> is that really what it is? <laughs> yes, that's what yeah. they were stealing. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, it, and and but that was also sort of the problem that I always had with the first one, which is like. How are you going to make a movie about people racing cars interesting? I mean, really, mm. you know? And that's why I always sort of like responded to the second one more was because it was like, oh, now they're using their car racing abilities to, you know, work for, for undercover for a, you know, drug dealer or whoever he was, you know, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And And this, I think, is kind of in the same vein as that. It's kind of like a middle ground, you know? 
but uh, but yeah. So so you 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 thought it was okay, John, but not as good as as Tokyo Drift. Oh, I thought it was good. Yeah, just not okay. as good. Like right now, Tokyo Drift. Uh, if anybody listened last week, no, that's still my my high bar. That's the mm-hmm. high water mark for me so far. Still, yeah. um, so it's not a knock on this movie to say it didn't meet that. Like I actually. I like this more than the first one, which I know this will sound weird, but like the first one is sort of like the low watermark for me. Yeah. So I would put this probably edge out the second one a bit more because I like Vin Diesel in the lead role here as opposed to Tyrese in the lead role. Mm-hmm. Um, so this probably gives that the edge. So right now my ranking would be three, four, two, one. Wow. At yeah. this point, my ranking is two, three, four, one, I guess, which is interesting because f- up until I rewatched these movies, it was definitely two, one, three, four, probably, or okay. m- maybe two, one, four, three. I don't know, but I, I did. You know, when I first saw this movie, you know, it, it it's weird because I, I'd always like I, I've always gone back to the Fast and Furious movies because of my love for Too Fast, Too Furious, and my hope that they would, you know, get as crazy as that movie gets. And you know, Tokyo Drift didn't do it for me the first time around. I, I have since come to to appreciate it, and this one didn't do it for me the first time around either. I remember sitting there in the theater, you know, thinking the same thing that everyone else was thinking, which is like, "Oh yeah, they got everyone back," and then thinking like, "But really, I mean, the first one wasn't like I'd if they were gonna like get people back, I'd say like get back like uh, you know, Ludacris and." Um, uh, Eva Mendez <laughs> and everything, um, and you know, let's do that because you, know, uh, you know, Too Fast and Too Furious. That's my favorite one, but whatever. So you know, I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm like, yeah, that first sequence is really cool, but like, like you guys are saying, like after that, it just didn't work for me. But I was really looking forward to it, and one of the reasons was because Justin Lin was directing. And I thought that that was such an interesting choice because Tokyo Drift is like the oddball movie, you know, the one that doesn't have anyone else in it for all practical purposes, that it does its own thing, has its own style, and now they're like, return to basics, let's get Justin Lin to do that. And like, I don't know what they were thinking internally, you know, what what, what it was like on a business level where they were like this is going to be a good idea. You know, this will work. Well, did, did Tokyo Drift do the best financially? I doubt it. Oh. I think, I th- I think for, from, from my recollection as like someone who doesn't pay attention to what box office numbers are or whatever, I think the fast and the furious was a, um, surprise hit and too fast, too furious was the inevitable sequel. But, one in which, you know, like Vin Diesel's like, I don't want to make another one of those movies. You know, the first one was special, whatever. Why would I do that? So they, you know, basically built a movie around Paul Walker, which, you know, would never live up to the original because it didn't have all of the pieces, right? It was basically just like a a cash grab. And Tokyo Drift was an attempt to do something different you know, maybe spin off the franchise in another way or whatever, and it was still missing that that thing, you know, the Paul Walker, Vin Diesel dynamic. And this one was like, okay, let's do this again now, 
but for real. Let's get everyone on board. It's it was like eight years after the original was made, and let's just you know actually try to recapture the magic of that first movie, and uh, um, and it worked, I guess, right? Well, I mean, to, I re- to to, to okay. speak to the the anticipation for it, I I, I just looked it up. Um, fa- the Fast and the Furious, the first one was a hundred forty four million. Plus lifetime gross. Too fast, too furious. Did one twenty seven and change. Tokyo Drift actually, according to Box Office Mojo, did sixty two million. Oh, yeah. So Ouch. it did substantially less. Right. So I do agree. That's really interesting that they brought Lynn back because what was it that they saw that it, audiences didn't respond to? Yeah. And uh, then Fast and Furious, this one. Went on to do 155 million and change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it it must purely be that people were really stoked to see Vin Diesel and uh, Paul Walker back together. Yeah. And I was like, you know, at first I was like, oh, cool. And then I was like, why? And then and then and then I was like, oh, Justin Lin's coming back. You know, I don't really know if that's a good choice. That that's not. I mean, if they said John Singleton's coming back, I'd be like, "Oh yeah," but they were like, "Justin Lin's coming back," and I'm like, "Well, the, he made the one that I didn't really like." And then I saw the first trailer, and like it starts off with that scene where like uh, Paul Walker is like jumping, you know, between buildings, chasing the dude, you know, on yeah. the rooftop or whatever. And I'm like, "Wow, this doesn't look anything like Tokyo Drift." You know, this is very cool. Like, this is a completely, you know, different style. Now I'm really excited to see this because I'm super curious to see, like, what this guy can do and everything. And and on that level, I was impressed. I thought that the story was kind of weak and everything, and it didn't really work for me. Um, and I, and I at the time, thought it was the, the worst of the four, hmm. I think. Well, maybe, maybe, I don't know, three and four I'd go back on, uh, go back and forth on. But, you know, watching it again now, just like with Tokyo Drift, um, I, I, I've come to appreciate it a lot more. Um, and I think the reason partially is because it's kind of like kind of like Space Seed, you know, in, or at least how I feel the love for Space Seed is as someone who did not experience it when it first came on or whatever. But I really think that it's it's tied into my love for the sequels. Like I know where it's going. Mm-hmm. You know, I know what, you know, Fast Five and, and Furious Six and, and Furious Seven do and, and how much I love those movies. And I think like looking back at this now, I see all these things which were, you know, where the groundwork was laid in those you know, for those movies. And I'm like, oh, oh, hey, hey. Oh, and there's mm-hmm. that thing. And, and it's like I, 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 I appreciate all of the characters, even the, the legacy characters more now because of what I've seen come later. You know what I mean? Now, but to speak to somebody who's going through the series for the first time like me, do you think that it's that it's possible as crazy as this might sound because of you know the the car stunts and everything do you think that there is uh an advantage to going through it on you know a a home screen an ipad or a tv screen or whatever do you think that expectation played into because you know you said like you went into the fourth one you were like yeah paul walker and vin diesel are back and then you're just kind of like eh do you think that there's an advantage to watching it on the smaller screen for the first time 
because your anticipation level isn't as high. And so it can wow you more easily. I mean, that could be. And, and, and I, I will fully admit that, like, you know, like with the first movie, like I said, there was no buzz at all. Like I, I was working at a movie theater at the time uh, where it was supposed to come out, I think, originally in like March or something like that. And we were scheduled to get it. And um, I remember like the, the manager at the theater was like, I don't want to play that movie. That movie's <laughs> not going to do any business at all. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's got cars. It's going to be cool. <laughs> and then it got pulled, you know, and like pushed back to the summer. And he's like, good, good. We're not going to play it now. I'm happy about that. Wow. And then the movie comes out and it just like explodes. And I'm like, y- you see? And he's like, uh, yeah, I, that was my my bad, you know. <laughs> well, you got to give this franchise a lot of credit because it's it's gone on for almost twenty years now. I mean, if you really look yeah, at it, it, so. has, yeah. it has no sign of slowing down. Like I thought, seven would be a logical as an outsider anyway. Seven would be a logical time to end it because oh, Paul Walker died, and during the making of it, sounds like they wrapped it up pretty nice. Everybody was pretty happy with how seven ended up. There's seven movies. We've had a good run. Let's go our separate ways, but. Uh, it's like that and like the X-Men franchise, right? <laughs> They've been going since yeah. 2000 and yeah. it's, it's really impressive. And in this age of reboots and, and, and new interpretations all the time, it's nice to, to have a franchise just keep going and going and going. And there's no reason for there not to be, you know, I mean, we've had, we've had two James Bonds in this, in the span of, the, That's true. <laughs> of this, of this, yeah. of this yeah. franchise. So they're doing something right, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, like talking, you know, hearing their plans for the future, you know, basically, it sounds like they're they're planning on making like three more movies and then <laughs> starting to do the you know like the Star Wars thing basically making like spin-offs with various characters from you know the various pieces of the franchise and it's gotten so big now that you can totally do that yeah. i mean we can get our our Han Solo movie, you know, oh, and that would be so have, it, wonderful. have it take place whenever. I mean, c- can you imagine? You know what? Since Universal owns it, we could have a Minions or Despicable Me crossover for all I care. Ah, yeah. and then they I'll can, they can bring in the Universal monsters and cross those over too. Just have a complete oh, yeah. shared See, universe. That's, to borrow a line from Star Trek, that's officer thinking, Lieutenant. <laughs> well done. Oh man, franchise Jurassic World and get them on there. What if, oh, what yeah. if, what if they have Fast and Furious Isla Nublar, right? And oh, they have oh, running from raptors. Right, they oh, have to man. race the raptor. Oh, <laughs> and then wow. and then Vin Diesel has to like fight a T Rex <laughs> oh, like, with amazing. his bare hands. And you know he's gonna win. Come and on. then he wins. Yeah, I watched that. <laughs> he gets oh. shot in this movie, and all he does he, is get. Yes, mad. I love that he gets shot, and then he just kind of turns around, slightly annoyed. <laughs> Yeah, that's so good. He yep. has so many muscles on his, you know, <laughs> on, on his shoulder that he's just like, oh, come on. It deflects the bullet. <laughs> yep, yep. So the right, but yeah, right I mean, was spinoff potential, yes. <laughs> but as, as low as expectations were for the first movie, like I have to say the theater that I was working at when Fast and Furious came out, everyone, all of my coworkers, everybody was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like I remember we had like this huge standee in the lobby and it had everyone on there. They were all lined up, whatever. And they're like, oh my God, look at this. They're all coming back. This is going to be the best movie ever. You know, so there was definitely like, and you know, that, that excitement is like infectious, you know? I'm like, yeah, it is going to be the best movie ever. And, you know, then I watched it 
you know, and I'm like, eh, I guess well, that wasn't. There's no stakes you know. with these movies, you know. I mean, it's not like Star Wars, right? I mean, it's it's Fast and the Furious. It knows what it is. It is what it is. And I feel like you can have a lot more fun with those kinds of movies where it's not going to quote ruin your childhood or something like yeah. that, right? Uh, that, oh, it, it's coming. You know, the, those those kids are getting to be of age where <laughs> I remember yeah, back in my day, later. Vin Diesel's my only. <laughs> oh man. Yep. Oh my God, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So yeah, I do like this movie a lot more now, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, being able to place it in the context of the entire franchise, both before and after, and uh, that's that's exciting. So so me. if I, I this is my first and only Fast and Furious movie so far. If I liked this one, then I should probably like the other ones, right? That's what I'm hearing from you guys. I would say so. I would definitely say so. I, this is definitely, I mean, even though I do like this movie, I, I think it is one of the weaker movies, you know? I think so. I think it's better than the first one, but I, I think all the rest are better than this. Cool. It's good to see, so good to see you, Wonder Woman in this movie, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> this is where yes. the world was introduced to her, really. Yeah, exactly. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can see why people were thinking that. That woman for Wonder Woman? I don't know. But, you know, see, I, I think she was great as Wonder Woman. I think she looks great in the, in the part. She did a great job in Batman v Superman. But I can see if this was people's only, you know, point of uh, reference for her, why there was so much, uh, well, there's always fanboy rage on the internet. But <laughs> Yes, yes. I, you know what? I don't know. I, I mean, like, uh, seeing it in that context now, you know, um, uh, like, I would look at Gal Gadot and, yeah, I'd cast her as a superhero. Well, I mean, I mean she's, she's small. Everybody she's in these movies short, are superheroes. She's a little short. I mean, well, Vin Diesel's a monster <laughs> standing next to her. But most of her most of her scenes are with Vin Diesel, like them standing right next to each other. So I guess compared to compared to him, uh, no one's really gonna look quite yeah. Amazonian. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I I guess my thinking with that, you know, and with Superman and whatever, like Batman, like Batman has to be ripped, right? Because he's Batman and he's a human or whatever. But my thinking was like. Does Superman really necessarily have have to have big muscles, or does Wonder Woman? Because, That's true, because like, all their, their powers, no, their come powers from are the, the sun right. No, su- right. Yeah, Superman should totally be able to like have a beer belly and just right. like, eat Cheetos all the time, and yeah. people will be like, "What are you out of shape?" He's like, "I'll burn you with my laser eyes. Leave me alone." <laughs> exactly. Like, like I, I mean, if I was was casting Superman, I would probably cast him just like a regular dude. You know, he, he would certainly blend in better that way. Because, yeah. I mean, there's no reason why. I mean, like, what, does he work out? Like, I don't think he works out. No. I'm guessing he, he wouldn't need out. to. Right. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, maybe that's why, maybe that's, but that maybe that's why he's ripped. Is like, maybe. you know, like the Flash eats constantly because he's always burning energy. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Superman's the same way. So, so, I mean, that was the thing, like, you know, when people were like, she's not very muscular for a Wonder Woman. I'm like, how muscular does a Wonder Woman have to be, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, like, I, I, even though, like, like I even forgot that she was in this movie until people started talking about it. You know, when like, when I think when she was cast as Wonder Woman, they're like, Gal Gadot. I'm like, oh, yeah, from <laughs> Fast Five. <laughs> and they're like, and Fast and Furious. I'm like, really? She was in that? I don't remember that movie. You know, I was like half asleep when I watched that movie. So yeah, I mean, seeing her now, like, it, it, I mean, that, I mean, that's part of it because I, I love her character, what they do with her in the next movies. Well, I love in this one that she's essentially a Wookiee because <laughs> when he saves her life, you know, there's a life debt. Yeah, and like she's instantly bonded a with Wookie him. Or so a Vin Diesel is like, 
Oh. Either or works for me. Definitely more so of you, a Wookiee than a you're, Gungan. Your you're pre, you're prequel barbs fall on deaf ears on this end, Zach. They fall on deaf ears. The gods demand it. They do. They do. I have the life play with this and hissing. <laughs> Whatever she was, she was awesome. Yes, and, yes, uh, yes. It was, it was cool. And, and it was fun because having just seen, you know, Batman v Superman, like, I, you know, like I'm watching Fast and Furious and I'm like, hey, uh, like my wife comes in and she's like, what are you watching? I'm like, Fast and Furious. And she's like, I'm leaving. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. Look, look, they just introduced Wonder Woman. And she's like, what, what? Oh, oh, look, there she is, you know? And she's in a better movie. Amazing. Ooh. But uh, Ooh. the, the thing that I, I also, the thing that I also like with uh, with this movie is that uh, it's not just Sung Kang, but uh, it was also uh, Michaela Burnett has a smallish role, yeah. but he is in it, and he was in uh, finishing the game uh, in one of the one of the more zany parts uh, that there were. And it's uh, so like it's not just Sun Kang. Like I like the fact that I like any director where you see the same people come back because it it means not just that they have a good chemistry with those people, but that those people want to keep working with them. And mm-hmm. so I think that speaks to the quality of the director's yeah, work. Yeah, that's, as that's well. always a good sign. Well, the thing that I always thought was interesting, and, and this is going to happen again in the next one, too, but it's like Jordana Brewster is obviously going to be in this movie, right? And they work together in Annapolis, and it's like, hey, look at that. Uh, They're meeting again, you know? <laughs> and it's going to yeah. happen, you know, later on in, in, in the movies with another person from Annapolis coming back. No spoilers, but, I mean, I guess you can probably figure it out. James James Franco's in Fast and the Furious movies? <laughs> no, but he was in finishing the game. No. And, <laughs> That's right. And, uh, uh, you know, we're going to see it again uh, in July with Star Trek Beyond and John Cho, who was in yeah. uh, Lynn's first movie. So that's cool. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird how these little connections in Hollywood work and everything, but it's cool. And and also, uh, uh, I kept on forgetting her name, but the woman from uh, The Dark Knight. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, Ramirez. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, no, uh, she was the character. In, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. She, was in, she was in finishing the game as well. So That's right. That's, that's pretty cool. It was Ramirez. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, just uh, a couple little, little notes here. Yeah. Um, couple Trek collaborators who worked on uh, Tokyo Drift. It, it's weird because uh, the, the, his editor and his uh, cinematographer who would both return to the franchise and, and then go on to work on Beyond with him are, are not here. Uh, there's a couple of other people. Um, Fred Raskin, it, well, I think he, he, was, he did a number of movies, but he was uh, one of the editors, and he's now Tarantino's editor. And uh, Christian Wagner, who of course is a is a legend in the action film uh, community, and but regardless of that, those are non Star Trek people. The Star Trek people who worked on this are uh, Brian Tyler, again uh, doing the music, and uh, Sonia Milkovic Hayes uh, doing the costumes. Uh, she's going to come back for Beyond, but she also did the costumes for Insurrection. And Tyler. As we mentioned last week or two weeks ago, worked on uh, Enterprise, so that's cool. Yeah, he also does the music yeah. for uh, a lot of TV shows. He does Supergirl, I know, uh, and that other TV All score right. is Brian Tyler. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, he does a lot of movies too. Yeah. 
Um, all right. Any uh, final thoughts on Fast and Furious, uh, Zach? You know, like I said, it, it was exactly what I expected, and that's not a bad thing. You know, I, I really enjoyed it, and it, it it got my attention, and I'm interested to see the rest of these movies now. It was it came to a point, I guess, where I I didn't see the first one and the second one, and then it got so deep in the franchise, I was like, well, never mind. I'll just skip this franchise. But <laughs> yeah, you know, usually franchise. Did, don't keep going forever and ever and ever like this one. So uh, since it's still going, I thought, man, I'm never going to be able to jump on the train. I thought I'd catch them all when it's all over. But uh, I'm I'm glad I I'm glad I checked it out and uh, seeing seeing just seeing because I I hadn't really seen much of anything Justin Lin had done outside of his community episodes, you know, which I love. It's one of my favorite shows. So uh, he can obviously you know he can handle a big cast. He can handle a lot of a lot of uh, big action set pieces. So just seeing all this makes me feel not that I didn't feel good about him directing Star Trek Beyond, but it makes you feel better. Makes me feel more confident. I said, okay, I could see. And there's a few shots in this movie like. I think it's the first shot you see, like, of the FBI building. You start on this tree, and you kind of go down this, this weird angle down into the building. I said, you know what? That looks like it'd be right at home in one of the J.J. movies, you know, because uh, yes. he always has those creative camera angles. So that kind of stuff makes you feel like we'll, we'll get the same visual language of our, you know, visual storytelling uh, in Star Trek Beyond that we will uh, in, in the previous few Star Trek movies. So that, that, that's good. Not, not to say Justin Lin needs to copy everything J.J. Abrams did, but he, it's cool to see he has his own visual flair. He's not a boring director. I mean, that's that's for sure, as you can yeah. see in this movie. There's a lot of moving parts in this movie and all these and all these Fast and Furious movies, I'm sure. And he handles it pretty well. Everything looked really slick. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to seek out the other, uh, based off what I saw here and you guys' recommendations, I'll, I'll go ahead and seek out the other Fast and Furious movies. So, you know success movie you, you won me over and i'm gonna watch your your counterparts <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean you really could if you wanted to just go to number five next and keep on going and that that yeah. i mean spoilers but that that really is sort of like the best part of the franchise anyway uh what about you john what, what any final thoughts uh no i i uh i, I agree with uh zach what you were saying about uh you know I, I just see a director again getting more confident, more sure of his skill set and the the way that he uses the the camera. Um, and uh, it, I find his I, I agree that his it, like his camera movement feels comfortable sliding into a JJ Abrams sort of uh, you know sort of artistic bend. but um, what really impressed me actually was there were specific shots where, the main villain is like on the phone and Gal Gadot's behind him. And just the way that he staged uh, certain shots like that, actually, um, really what was really good. He just he did a really good job of placing everything in frame. It's interesting, so interesting every, blocking is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like this, the scene was composed in such a way that everything made sense where it was like he again. And this this was true in Tokyo Drift where everything's placement isn't there's nothing forced and there's nothing that seems out of place every shot fits together really well in film school they call that mise-en-scene yeah i know I but i didn't want to sound all the mise-en-scene of the fast and the furious movies that just yeah, makes yeah. me happy I, I, <laughs> I, I took a couple of film classes i know your fancy patootie word uh, i uh, believe me i am i every time i cannot say mise-en-scene without uh, a uh, an exaggerated um, hoity-toity with a, uh, with a beret on your head exactly <laughs> yes oh <laughs> but you know if you're gonna talk about mise-en-scene 
it better be in reference to a shot from Fast and Furious. <laughs> yeah, what so, world do I live in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, like I said, I like this movie a lot more than I, I did when I first saw it, and you know, a, a, num- a number of factors you know could come into play for that. Um, but I think looking at it now, especially in in the context of Tokyo Drift and everything like that, what what I really see is uh, someone who is not just doing the same thing again and again and again. Like, he knows that this is a different story. He knows what its origins are, and he adapts his style to fit that. And I think that that's super cool. You know, I'd love to see him do, like, another, like, Fast and Furious spinoff and make it all crazy. I mean, I think Tokyo Drift sort of, like, gave him the freedom to sort of do a Fast and Furious movie the way that he would do it if everything was left up to him, you know? But here he's like, no, no, I'm going to bring it back and, and, and put it in the style of what has come before. And But, you know, I think with much more uh, s- skill, I'm, I don't want to <laughs> say that as like bashing the first movie or whatever, but, you know, it's it's taking that style from the first movie, but amping it up to 11 or whatever and 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 i think that that's pretty awesome and it it really kind of to me speaks to what we might see in beyond in terms of like his style but incorporating you know the visual um aesthetic of of jj's movies and and everything and and going forward with that i i think that's kind of an interesting thing and uh yeah i i I do like this movie quite a bit more now than i used to I, i think it's definitely definitely very good so all right before we go we've got a bit of news uh which is old news apparently (laughs) because um going back and looking i found something from three weeks ago which no one no one else is you know talking about but whatever um as you may recall uh on our better luck tomorrow uh episode where we talked to john tenuto about uh nicholas meyer i said that i thought Jesse Alexander was on the writing staff of of the new Star Trek series based on um, some cryptic tweets. And it turns out I was right. So um, yes, Jesse Alexander. He is on the writing staff for sure. 100% for sure. He is definitely writing this uh, this show with Nicholas Meyer and Brian Fuller and some other people who uh, we don't know about yet. Um, so a couple of things. First off, this is the first guy that is not someone who worked on Star Trek before. Um, that's cool. Fresh I guess. blood. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, kind of like adding to the mix where you've got, you know, Kurtzman, who's, you know, from the JJ verse, Fuller, who's from the Berman era, Nicholas Meyer, who's Nicholas Meyer, and now mm-hmm. someone who is obviously a fan of the franchise, but has never actually worked on it. Um, he has worked on a number of things, very, very high-profile things. He has a, a freaking Emmy um, for <laughs> uh, Lost, I believe, uh, season one of Lost. But, yeah, he's he's a writer in television who's uh, written such uh, shows and uh, movies and stuff as Eight-Legged Freaks, the movie, which, John, you said you saw that, right? Yeah, it's, it's more fun than it deserves to be, um, and, but it's... You know, uh, it's silly. 
it's, it's a, a goofy lot of movie. silly fun. It's a yeah. crazy movie. I mean, it's. I mean, imagine what a movie named Eight Legged Freaks <laughs> is. Well, the the thing is, like, there's there's a very conscious decision in it to be a spoof of horror movies, and yeah. I think it was very smart because the 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 effects for the giant spiders are so horrifying that if they played it as a straight horror movie and I watched that movie, I I probably would have needed counseling just to get out of my chair. Um, hmm. So it was good that they. I mean, it, you know, it was uh, uh, David Arquette was in the lead in that one. So they they committed to the idea of it being zany from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, good cast. Uh, it's a fun movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, he also worked uh, for a, a pretty long time on Alias, uh, which I guess is where he he met Kurtzman, right? Because Kurtzman was working on Alias at the time, and he wrote uh, eleven episodes of that show, including The Box part one and two, which was the Tarantino episode, um, which is basically Die Hard with uh, Sidney Bristow as 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 John McClane and Hans Gruber, uh, uh, played by Quentin Tarantino. I It's, it's like one of the like pro- high profile sort of like you could take this and put it on its own as sort of like a standalone movie thing. And um, if you haven't seen any of Alias or anything like that, I urge you to check out The Box Parts 1 and 2 and, uh, and because it is very good. It's like one of those episodes that stands out of, of the show. Is yeah. Alias on Netflix? I believe it is. It, it certainly used to be. I'm pretty sure it is. Cool. It's uh, Season 1, Episodes 12 and 13. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Other, other things that he, he's worked on. And now we're getting into some territory which I'm less familiar with than than uh, you guys. Heroes. Heroes. Yata. Yes, I know a few things about heroes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he wrote uh, three episodes uh, of that show. He worked on it for a couple of years. Chapter seven, nothing to hide. Chapter twenty-two, landslide. And then I'm guessing chapter ten of season one or season two. Truth and Consequences in Chapter Seven of Season Three, Iris Quad Sum. Yeah, some some kind of Latin title. <laughs> are, you, are you familiar with any of those? Yeah, or? so def. Um, you know, I watched all of Heroes for better and for worse. Uh, the first season is by far the best, and he wrote a couple of great episodes in the first season. Uh, back when you know the story was driving, the characters were interesting. Uh, Landslide is actually you know another Star Trek connection. Uh, George Takei plays hero nakamura's dad uh throughout the series but in that episode is the one he got teaches him you know how to use a sword and all that cool stuff so he has a big role in that episode uh and that's the uh, penultimate episode before the before the season finale uh so those were great uh, and then actually you know season two of heroes kind of gets a bad rap i don't think it's i don't think it's near as bad as people claim when you get past that it gets questionable but uh, the Truth and Consequences episode is, uh, once again, he's writing the penultimate episode of the, of the season right before the season finale. And that was another great episode. At the last, if, you, if, you, if you watch, like, if you binge watch Heroes Season 2, it's a pretty good season. So uh, I would, if if you I don't know I don't know why you subject yourself to rewatching Heroes to be honest, but if you ever if you ever do <laughs> if you ever do make sure you watch them all in quick succession because it really builds to something and uh, so Jesse Alexander is responsible for some some really good episodes here and that's just more positive signs for me that you know I'd like to see him on a, on a Star Trek show because uh, Heroes is a very big ensemble cast and be able to juggle all those characters and different plot lines takes a lot of skill. And Heroes, of course, would be where he met Brian Fuller, who played an integral role 
on that show as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so it, he he also did. Um, well, I guess it was supposed to be a show called Day One uh, that he created himself, but it looks like uh, the pilot itself was the only thing which uh, actually aired. Um, and from what I understand, it's not even really available anywhere, which is unfortunate. Uh, but after that, he um, worked on Hannibal, which of course was uh, created by uh, Brian Fuller. He was uh, he worked on it for a few years. He was, I think, an executive producer on that show, and he wrote uh, the episode Sorbet, which you've seen, John, right? Yes, it was and good. It's a good episode. Good. Yeah, yeah. But I I don't know that I have said a bad thing about any Hannibal episodes. You seem um, so you seem bear to, that in mind. to love that show. Yeah, it was pretty great. <laughs> pretty great. So so yeah, so that and then uh, Da Vinci's Demons, uh which was the David Goyer show. He worked on that and uh on a show called Agent X, uh which I believe is still on the air. And he's he wrote a, a what they're saying is a TV movie. I'm guessing it was a pilot for The Saint. I'm assuming that they're reviving it i don't know is val kilmer gonna be in it uh one can oh, one can dream zach <laughs> one that can or george dream. clooney um yes and he he he's, he won an emmy for for working on lost he was on season one as a co-executive producer won the emmy for season one um i'm guessing he was on the writing staff but didn't have anything you know credited to him but still He's got an Emmy, so that's uh, pretty impressive, if you ask me. Yeah. And John, I know you're a huge fan of Lost. Oh yeah, I'm a Losty. Yeah, I'm a Losty, big time, beginning to finish. Did, did you Absolutely. did you like the finale? I did. I haven't seen the finale, so don't say say. Uh, what. Well, there is a finale. Okay, right. the series uh, does end at some point. Yes. And yeah. as with every single finale out there, with the exception of Deep Space Nine's finale, it. It's contentious among fans as to its quality. Uh, There were some people who, like me, were very pleased with the way that it worked out, and there were some people that were decidedly displeased. Yeah, my uh, my uh, I have a friend, and he doesn't watch a lot of television. But Lost is like was like his one show that he used to watch. And when it was over, uh, he had a Facebook status, and he said, "I just like to thank the producers of Lost for wasting the last six years of my life." No, no. See, the, but what? But what I will point out is that ABC made a decision about something to air during the final credits of the finale that screwed with a lot of people. Oh, interesting. And a lot of people interpreted what was shown during the credits to be like a Marvel stinger companion with what they had just watched, and it was very disorienting because everybody was like, "What are you saying?" Like. Because if it did play in, then what they were saying, yes, your friend's Facebook status made sense. <laughs> but it didn't have anything to do with the show. Okay. It was just ABC's decision what to show. And that is, you know, bravo ABC for not judging your fans properly. Because if there was one thing Losties have always been known for, and were especially known for at the time, is the obsessive pouring over of every <laughs> single detail in a frame. Like, it's the first show that I ever remember where they would re-air episodes with, like, cliff notes popping up. They had, like, a pop-up video really? version of, of uh, yeah, of the previous week's episode wow. to make sure that you caught everything you needed to catch going into the next week's episode. Impressive. It was an incredibly involved 
experience. Yeah, I, I saw season one and I loved it. I remember thinking like like that was the year where I watched everything for some reason or another. I think because I had no life, you know. Uh, so <laughs> I watched like everything and I'm like, this is the best show on TV. You know, I loved it. And then by the time season two rolled around, I just didn't have time to commit. And one day I will go back and finish it. But I, I really did love season one, uh, which is the season that Alexander worked on. So yeah, uh, yeah. it's exciting. Um just one thing he put up two pictures on facebook which are yeah. rather interesting okay mm-hmm. one of them is an image of uh the book the making of star trek the classic book along with uh i believe it it's the uh the eagle moss uh mm-hmm. model of the uss reliant yep so that's interesting Especially given Brian Fuller's uh, previous statements about how if he were to make a, um, uh, uh, a Star Trek show, he might do something like set it in the, the JJ-verse on another ship, like, say, the USS Reliant. Like, that's literally something that Brian Fuller has said. So that's interesting. I don't know. Idris Elba for Captain Terrell. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. I would watch that show. Oh, I'd watch the hell out. So, of you, show. do you think he's hinting at something with that? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he was just hinting at you know that he's working on Star Trek, but maybe he was hinting mm. at something deeper. Mm. I, I don't think know. I think they're hinting at timeline because I read an article, um, and I'm sure that I'm not dropping any surprises on anybody, but um, I think this ties into there was some article that came out where they said that the reason that the show and this and the movie are six months apart was because that was part of the the agreement about the rights splitting. And so and so and part of that was because both uh, companies wanted to make sure that there was no confusion as to the fact that one was a TV property and one was a movie property. They do not want according to this article that I read, anybody to confuse or think that the two have anything really to do with each other except for the fact that they're set as Star Trek properties. So Paramount's got the movies, CBS has a TV show, and they're purposely spaced six months apart. And everything about the article pointed to the idea that CBS is free not to play in the JJ-verse, to say, you know what? we're going to do our own thing and we're just going to set it in our own timeline if we want to. And so they might be hinting that they're going with the prime timeline since the movies are forging the way with the, uh, the, the new timeline. That's a possibility. I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that I agree with your analysis of that, that, that uh, article sure i i could be you know what this could be ravings of a madman no 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 i mean you're definitely not the only person who has said that you know and i mean it's quite possible that you're right i'm just saying that i don't necessarily agree with it well i i I know a lot of people are pointing to the fact that uh they fuller said he's going to take inspiration from star trek 6 uh it's like oh it'll be in between tos and tng and i don't i don't think that's what that meant at all uh but it meant it meant that it's he's the doing a freaking excel. No, right, no, it meant he's doing an Excelsior show <laughs> with Captain Sulu played by John Cho. That's what it means. <laughs> and they have to go rescue the the Reliant, which is stranded again in City Alpha Five. <laughs> 
uh, and so on. I don't know. You know, he, he also put up another picture, uh, which from what I'm presuming is like the production office or whatever, and it's got silhouettes of all of the Enterprises, like to scale from the NX-01 all the way through to the E and then back to the JJ and NCC-1701. And I don't know if that means anything other than like, yeah, just, look at all these cool ships, but it's amazing. Yeah, just to mess with <laughs> us, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So whatever. Uh, who knows? Whatever. But at, but, at this yeah. point, we're so early into things. Anything like that, we're going to grab onto and analyze and speculate. I mean, that's what we do as fans. Right. So once some some well, hard stuff starts coming out, we won't be so obsessive about. Well, we, we well, you know we still we'll, yes, we, we still I, will be yeah, yeah, so What am I saying? I I, I, I was going to say Losties were not the first TV fans <laughs> to go a wee bit obsessive about every frame. Yeah. So not quite. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, regardless, I don't know. I think that this is good news for multiple reasons. I like the fact that in addition to all of these legacy people, we're, we're getting some new blood as well. And uh, Jesse Alexander's track record is uh, super solid and uh, obviously has a good working relationship with both Kurtzman and Fuller. So uh, yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, And he's a fan. It definitely seems like he's a fan. So super excited. Yes. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Fast and Furious today, but that's not all that we're talking about on Trek FM this week. So, uh, so Zach, what 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 else can we uh, we find here on Trek FM? Well, check this out. Previously on Trek FM, literary treks. It is very much every one of the characters, you know, who who finds themselves sort of pulled into the conflict that's at the heart of the story. They are reacting to a fear of the other. Meta Trex. He gets all the way over to me and he goes, well, if it isn't Manu, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then he elbows me and he winked. And I immediately felt like I was a part of the team and it was Uncle Eastwood. And, you know, it was a great way for him to just welcome me to the set, you know. The Ready Room. And they'll, sc- they'll scare two of their friends, and they'll scare two of their friends, and before you know it, everyone's afraid. <laughs> now that sounds like a pyramid scheme of fear, Zachary. <laughs> it's a pyramid scheme of fear. I love it. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Well, thank you, Zach. Very fine work. Very fine work thank indeed. You. It, it's harder than it sounds. It, it is definitely harder than it sounds, uh, but it sounds great. So well, thank you. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you want to help us out, uh, you can go to our store on Redbubble and buy some stuff. Uh, it's high-quality stuff. Um, you can get sweatshirts like the one I'm wearing right now or uh, T-shirts yes. or uh, iPhone cases, I think, probably, or stickers or any any other number of things. Uh, just go to trek.fm and you'll find a link to the store. And, uh, yeah. Uh, we appreciate your your business. 
Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can find the network on Twitter at trekfm or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. That's also where you can find the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and uh, you'll find our listener uh, group where we can uh, thoroughly debate uh, not only the quality of Fast and Furious, but also the addition of Jesse Alexander to the writing staff of the new show and whatnot, and what those pictures mean. Uh, So, Zach... Where can people find you on the internet? You you are a podcaster in your own right. I am. Uh, I am. I, I have a podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, and it is a podcast about each and every episode of Smallville, the uh, Young Superman series that ran uh, from 2001 to 2011. And it's my it's my favorite show of all time. I've had to pick a show. Uh, Star Trek as a whole will be a solid number two after that. But uh, I grew up. With Smallville, I was the same age as Clark Kent was on the show as I watched it, so it will always have a special place in my heart. So it's near and dear to me. So that's that's why I've chosen to do a podcast about it. And uh, we're uh, we're in season one right now, so relatively new. But if you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Always Mallville uh, with one S. There's a character limit on Twitter, so I've just embraced that. <laughs> uh, it's Always Mallville, and then uh, you can find us on Facebook at Always Hold On to Smallville. And then for me personally, I'm at Moron Zach M O O R E. O N Z A C H, and that's because my last name is Moore. I'm not a moron. <laughs> Just for the record, uh, that's where the Twitter handle comes from. So that's where you can find me online. Nice, nice. I listened to the first episode of of Always Hold On yeah. to Smallville, and uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I've not seen much more Smallville than the first episode. <laughs> I think I've seen the first episode. Oh, I saw. Wait. I don't know when, when Amy Adams shows up. She's, in, she's in the that. seventh episode. Yeah, we just okay. did that one a couple weeks ago. So Okay, so I've seen the first seven episodes, and then I saw the first season finale, mm-hmm. and then I was like, I don't, I can't watch this show anymore. I'm sorry. I just can't. You're not, not, but I'm I not Amy Adams that makes an appearance, so I've got to at least get that far into the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I will say we just did an episode on Batman v Superman, uh, oh. Dawn of Justice, mm-hmm. so we had a, a roundtable with four of us on there talking about it. We had... A wide variety of opinions, so uh, check it out. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. Well, what about you, John? Oh, everybody's already following me, Mike. I'm <laughs> Kessel Junkie on Twitter. And uh, you can find me uh, also on a podcast called Words with Nerds, where we will also be having our own little... I think everybody's having a roundtable on Batman v Superman, <laughs> honestly. Um, and uh, so... I don't know if our opinions are going to be as varied, but it should be an interesting, fun, funny show. We're going to keep it light. We're not going to be nasty. Uh, and I also appear on a, uh, a podcast with Trek FM's own Matthew Rushing called Aggressive Negotiations, where we talk about the minutia of the Star Wars galaxy and also some of the bigger questions 
sometimes look through a uh, a unique lens. Didn't she just talk about Batman v Superman there too, or something like that? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> that was the warm up for a show, though. Oh, uh, but the okay. show was was delightful um, because we just wrapped up a series, a, a duology uh, called uh, Breaking Anakin, where the two of us interviewed each other about where we think specifically things went wrong for Anakin and what specifically we would have done to fix it. Interesting, interesting. I'm I'm not talking about Batman v Superman. You're the anywhere. only you're the only one who's not. I'm the only one. I mean, if you, if anyone wants to know what I think about it, you can you know ask me and I'll tell you. But uh, I'm, I'm not talking about it, so whatever. Um, I, I am talking about uh, Star Trek a lot, like every single freaking day. <laughs> um, on from there to here, which is our uh, our 50th anniversary rewatch project, uh, and where we talk about Star Trek, two episodes of Star Trek every day, and uh, we're uh, somewhere towards the end of the original series towards the start of the animated series at this point I can't keep track anymore it's all just a blur of spaceships and phasers (laughs) and whatnot. but yeah you can find that right here on Trek FM and uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K so uh, thank you again for joining us Zach it was a lot of fun Uh, yeah a real pleasure yeah thank thank you so much guys it's fun to step it took me a while to find my groove here with you guys but uh, it's fun to step out from behind the scenes and be on there here and I'm actually going to be on a lot of the uh, from there to here's coming up so I'm looking forward to some more on air time on Trek FM yeah I'm excited about that too yeah I'd say you know you're more than welcome to come back anytime but we've only got four episodes left so sorry (laughs) You're out it's, of luck. it's the thought that counts, though. Thank you for the offer. It's, uh, but you're welcome on from there to here anytime. So there, <laughs> there you go. Plenty of those left to come. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yes. All right. Well, we will be back next week to talk about Justin Lin's next movie, the next Fast and Furious movie, Fast Five. Fast Five.